Hello and welcome. You are listening to an informed take on current events brought to you by law students and staff of Queen's University Belfast. This is LawPod. Hi, and welcome to another student-focused episode of LawPod. My name is Alana Hughes and I'm a final year student here at QUB. Today we're looking at media law and intellectual property and what a potential career path involving these areas may be. I'm joined by Neve Hargan who is a media lawyer and she's here to discuss with me what she's been up to since she graduated from Queen's. So hello Neve. Hiya. Thanks for joining me today. It's a pleasure. So, just to begin with, um, could you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career pathway so far? Yeah, um, so I studied uh, law and French at Queen's. Um, I'd sort of, I'd had a think about various different um, possibilities. I thought about English and I thought about media studies and journalism and um, I ended up kind of going for law because I was at least as interested in it, if if not more so, and I thought it would be a kind of a good general um, degree that might um, keep some of those other possibilities opened. Um, so I came here and I really had a, a really, really good experience at Queen's um, once I kind of worked out what was expected of me, I could I could provide it. Um, and whilst I was studying, I was always kind of involved in other sort of things on the side. I, I had a part-time job. I worked in the Lyric and I would have always kind of been a volunteer with the Belfast Festival and was involved in student journalism and stuff like that. So even though I wasn't really um, directly pursuing the creative industries in a career, in a career sense, I was sort of... Um, it was always kind of a focus of my extracurricular interests. Um, so once I graduated, I, I thought, what would I do next? Uh, I ended up then going to Edinburgh and I did a master's um, in what was called innovation technology and the law. Um, so if you can work out what that is, you're doing better than I did <laughs> for about the first six months of it. Um, again, that was a really, really, really great experience. Um, finished that, came back to Belfast um, did a traineeship in a commercial law firm and that law firm did all kinds of different different um, things, you know, big corporate transactions and um, employment and medical negligence and the whole gamut, um, but also did some media law and some more general IP in the sense of um, kind of assisting tech companies and stuff like that. So that gave me a bit of practical experience um in terms of what it was like to actually do this as a job and then eventually I moved from there to the firm I'm currently with which is um, a boutique kind of specialist media law firm all we really do is uh, film and television um and all of our well the vast majority of our clients are producers and whenever you say all we really do is film and television what you know, what exactly does that mean? Sort what of? is like, that? Yeah, like what, what work do you do? Yeah. Um, so this is a common question um, from taxi drivers and, um, yeah. you know, generally. <laughs> um, so basically what we do falls into two broad categories. So on the one hand, you have business affairs and on the other hand, you have content and compliance. So business affairs basically is contracts. Um, all the contracts you can imagine that might be related to film 
or, or a television series. So the things you might need to get going in terms of maybe a co-production agreement, a director's agreement, a writer's agreement, cast agreements, um, this, the things you might need while filming is happening. Um, so location releases, appearance releases, materials releases, um, that sort of thing. And then maybe the things at the back end, like um, sales agreements, distribution agreements, um, maybe merchandising and sponsorship and that sort of thing. Um, so I do a little bit of that, uh, but mostly what I am focused on is the other sort of half of it, which is the content and compliance. So what that basically entails is reviewing um, films and television programs for legal and assessing them for legal problems. That is, in fact, a real job. <laughs> so you just get to watch movies? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. It's not quite as enjoyable as... Um, just watching watching movies for your own enjoyment, but it's you know you're not down a mine. It's it's um, still pretty enjoyable. And these are obviously movies that haven't been released yet. Yep. Um, so we would do a lot of documentaries and also some drama and lots and lots and lots of television. Um, so the whole the whole goal really, it's it's the the, main, the one thing to really understand is um, the importance of insurance which is not something I, it's hard to imagine now that there was a time I did not know what errors and emissions insurance was because it is my entire job. <laughs> but um, there was a time when I did not. Basically, you know, you can make a film, you can make something, um, no problem. You can say and do anything in that film. We all have an iPhone. You can go out round Queens now and shoot a film. You can defame people. You can, you know, maybe put somebody else's music over the top of it. No problem with any of that, but no one is ever going to distribute that, you know, because that's, that's a risk, that's a liability as a product. So if you want, if you're making a television series and you want Channel 4 to put it on television, or if you're making a film and you want Sony to distribute it, they will not do that unless your product is insured. Um, so there's all kinds of different um sort of um, insurance policies that a, a filmmaker might have. Um, you know, if you're going to lots of far-flung locations, you might have travel insurance, you might have um, disgrace insurance, uh, which covers if, um, you know, if the person that's going to be in your film has a huge fall from grace, such that um, they're much less um, valuable to you and your whole project falls apart. Um, you might have just a general liability insurance policy um you know if a camera falls in someone's head that type of thing um none of those things are really what I'm concerned with what I'm concerned with is errors and emissions insurance and that covers the actual film so things that you the mistakes that you might make in the film things that you might leave out you know things that you might say that are upsetting to people where people say that invaded my privacy or that's my life story or um, I wrote that story or that's my painting in the background and you didn't ask me. Um, all of those types of things, E&O insurance is what kicks in to cover those claims. Um, and E&O insurance companies usually will not give insurance without a letter from a lawyer. So somebody needs to write a big, big, long letter, you know, might be 20 pages. It's like a dissertation style <laughs> letter, uh, you know, citations and all the rest of it that basically amounts to, you know, I'm a lawyer. I've watched this film. I've been involved in 
the whole process of of making this as this film is being made and I'm confident that even though you might think that X and Y are risk areas um, I don't think any claim would ultimately be successful. Um, so that's you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm never saying to an insurance company there will be no claim. Um, I can I can never say that. You know, um, there are crazy people <laughs> out there, and you know anyone can make a claim. Anyone can say, well, actually, that sounds an awful lot like my screenplay. Uh, or you know, so I I don't need to be saying there will be no claim. What I need to be saying is. I think if a claim were made, it would not ultimately succeed because of this case, that case and the other case. Um, so that's kind of my role. And that's why um, filmmakers need lawyers. It sounds so niche. And <laughs> I mean, as a student here at QUB now in my final year, it's not something that I have ever thought about as a possibility. Um, and it's not something that I I don't know anyone that is sort of, you know, heading that way. Like, you know, oh, I want to be a media lawyer and I want to do this and that. Yeah. The fact that you went on then to study such a specific master's and the, the, the way you were talking there about the volunteering that you, you did while you were studying your undergraduate, you've always had an interest, obviously. But did you have a solid idea of what you wanted to be doing at the end? Or has it just been an evolution of what you've got involved in over the past few years that has brought you to where you are now? Yeah, I would say the latter. And actually, to be honest, I would say if you speak, I mean, I'm sure you've done others of these podcasts, I would say almost anyone in any job would probably say the latter, that, you know, you just end up, uh, you end up somewhere (laughs) rather than uh, that you sort of specifically um, had a master plan at the age of 18. Um, I didn't. But I suppose when I finished my undergrad, I actually can remember... uh, um, meeting someone outside um cafe connor there on the, like up on to the Austria, yeah. yeah and her saying to me well, what are you going to do after graduation and i said oh i don't know um, and we had this whole discussion about <coughs> master's degrees and you know how we both thought that it was just so annoying how people just seemed to be drifting into master's degrees without any strong you know academic compulsion or or sort of passion for the subject it was just kind of like I haven't got a job. Um, what can I do? I'll do a master's. And I just thought, oh, I knew I would never do that. Um, then, you know, graduation rolled around. Um, <laughs> I didn't have a job. I went to France um, for the summer. I, you know, I, pro- I did a bit of Googling of various things. And then I thought, do you know what? I will do a master's degree. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of how I thought. That's how I ended up there. Um, and I guess I, I, I had, you know, I sort of tried to reflect on what I had done thus far and probably the part of my undergrad studies that I enjoyed the most was the two weeks in tort when we did defamation and privacy. Um, and also at that time, this was, you know, various sort of, I don't know when this would have been, 2011-ish. Um, at that time, the Levison Inquiry was on the television. Was well, it wasn't on television, but it, you could watch it on it the was internet. On the news or whatever. Else. I watched that like it was EastEnders. Um, I watched all of the all of the testimony. It was also around the time of kind of the super injunctions that that was the, that we'd never heard that word before. But Ryan Giggs and all of those um, sort of big players in the super injunctions. Um, 
and there was just a lot of discussion not even just in in law journals but in in just in even you know in like the guardian and and various um sort of sources in terms of online piracy and what are we going to do about it and um the way that we were consuming content was changing um so all of these things were kind of um they were kind of in the air um and I had never really studied any of it um in any depth but I thought I thought I would like it and I thought it would maybe be a way for because I had always been interested in things like you know maybe journalism or maybe um maybe going and doing some kind of a traineeship with the BBC or something like that I thought this might be a way in to those types of careers um but using kind of the legal background and all of the time and effort that I had already expended um it would be a way to be involved in some kind of creative industry um but from from a maybe slightly different angle so I suppose for any student listening today um if they're thinking about their study choices for next year as Mm -hmm. second year students and they've just studied um tort and -hmm. they've enjoyed what you enjoyed when you were studying your undergraduate and in the sense they enjoyed the defamation stuff and the privacy stuff what would you say to them then ahead of their study choices for next year if they've got options like say international property or business law um or just any sort of module that focuses specifically in that sort of media commercial sphere would you say go for it and you know explore that interest because this is a real possible and viable career that you can make for yourself yeah well absolutely I mean what I would say to anyone um who's kind of at that stage of wondering what you might focus on is I would I would say think about what you like outside of the law um because the likelihood is there will be some um legal element to that if you love um watching the FA Cup you know FIFA needs lawyers if you love kind of uh, video gaming and and all of that, you know, there are huge opportunities. Um, you know, some of the biggest tech companies in the world are in Dublin and they all need lawyers. Um, if you love fashion, you know, every fashion house in the world will have a legal team. So I would, rather than trying to, you know, um, I suppose rather than restricting yourself to um, the things you might think of as making up... Um, the high street law firm in terms of criminal family, um, you know, wills and probate, that type of thing. I would think about what you like in your life and and how you can um, kind of work the law into that. Um, and certainly if there are any uh, module choices um, in third year that would help kind of angle you towards it, towards whatever that thing is. Um, maybe more commercially focused modules, um, particularly if you're interested in any type of creative industry, whether it be music, fashion, um, visual art or film and television, anything that you could do um, in terms of IP would be great. In previous episodes of this study focus and study choices um, series that we're making at the minute, we've talked about uh, gender imbalances that are in other areas of law, such as family law, where, you know, there's very few (coughs) male students choosing to study family law Mm -hmm. at undergraduate level. And then that follows through into the career and particularly at the bar, then there's very few male barristers, um, especially at the junior end of the career is a gender imbalance something that you notice in your line of work as a woman do you feel 
that you're outnumbered, particularly by lots of male media lawyers? Or, you know, what would you say about that sort of um, if, if somebody had a question about the gender balance in media law and in the industry in general? Yeah, um, well... I do think there is a gender imbalance in terms of in the creative industries, in film and television, um, people who are who are making content. Um, there is a big problem, um, not in the initial stages, but once you get once you kind of get maybe into your thirties um, as a woman, it is very very difficult to keep up with the production schedule of um, film and television um, if you want to have children, um, and it's just not as difficult for men. Um, by and large, because, uh, you know, mostly um, the bulk of child rearing obligations do still fall to women. And that's a problem in the industry. In terms of my bit of it, um, I don't really see a a gender imbalance. Um, I certainly can remember when I was doing my master's, um, there probably were more boys than, than girls. And the boys, I would say, were were among the more vociferous members of of the of the team, um, and I suppose uh, quite a lot of the scholarship, I suppose, was from men. And I know that there is um, there is a big problem in terms of particularly patent lawyers. Um, that's a big because you know if you want to be a patent lawyer, that's a quite a specialized thing, and you don't actually even need to have a, a law degree for that, but you do need to have some type of background in a STEM subject and of course we all know that you know um there's an there's an issue there as well um so that is that is a big problem um that there are it's a, there's a huge gender balance in terms of patent law but in terms of the type of IP that I do um I don't really feel I feel that it's 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 fairly balanced um the other lawyers I would be dealing with um because the type of work I do is, it's. I mean, I I am sometimes involved in litigation, um, but mostly it's it's not contentious. So mostly I don't have, you know, another lawyer on the other side as such that I'm you know fighting with. Uh, the lawyers I'm dealing with tend to be lawyers who work for broadcasters and networks. Um, so if I'm making a series, if I'm dealing with a series, um, for Netflix, as I have you know tons and tons of series for Netflix at the moment I will be dealing with lawyers at Netflix um because they have um sometimes they have considerations that are are really more business considerations than legal you know so there might be something that I say it's fine to do or say um from a strictly legal perspective but Netflix or BBC or whoever would still rather not do it for some type of business or editorial reason so I'm negotiating with lawyers um, from that point of view. So those are kind of the other lawyers that I would be dealing with most. And I feel that it's, um, there's certainly parity and, and possibly even more women than men. So that's very encouraging yeah. for, for anyone who's, who's <laughs> listening. Um, definitely there's, there seems no barrier to this. If this is something that you're interested in, um, you should absolutely go for it and chase it. I suppose something else that might be encouraging, um, if you, can maybe talk a little bit about the fact that you're dual qualified both here and in the US. Mm-hmm. Does that afford you any travel or does the interna- international nature of your work afford you travel or scope for that? Well, this is one of the real treats, yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, whenever I kind of came to work um, with my current firm, um, 
uh, they sort of asked me to do the New York bar, um, which I did. Um, it's it's quite a different process from getting qualified here, which is, as I'm sure everyone will know, is a two-year process and you get a traineeship and all of that. Um, the New York bar was, it was, you know, two months really of intense study, just you basically watching watching the lectures on the computer and um, then going over and doing it. Um, so that to have that, uh, to be able to advise on US and UK is really essential um, because, again, going back to those E&O insurance letters, sometimes they will, every E&O policy will have a governing jurisdiction and sometimes it will be US and sometimes it will be UK. Um, so sometimes they'll want you to sort of clear the film, so to speak, um, under US law and sometimes they'll want you to clear it under UK law and that will be enough then to give you a global um, policy um, so that'll you know you don't normally need to tell your insurance company specifically you know here's an opinion from a French lawyer here's an opinion from a Norwegian lawyer normally they will they will accept either US or UK and, and then cover you worldwide um, so if I you know it would really cut down kind of a half of my work if I couldn't advise on US law um, and then it, it you know it is nice um, to kind of get to I would go to lots of um, festivals and markets um, not really related to being qualified in the US <laughs> to be honest um, but just um, because lots of our clients are uh, based in New York or LA or London um most of my dealings with them is via email or um, kind of FaceTime and conference calls and all that sort of thing. So um, big events like, you know, like the Cannes Film Festival or the Berlin Film Festival or Tribeca or, um, you know, Sundance, those are opportunities to where everyone is there. Um, so if I go there, I can see them all kind of in one fell swoop and it's quite fun for me too. <laughs> so it's that, nice. That sounds amazing. Absolutely <laughs> incredible. Yeah. So I suppose just to draw to a close in everything that we've talked about, it's all so encouraging, so inspiring, so eye opening, you know, like this world that's out there as QUB students that is possible for us. Mm -hmm. um, what has been the highlight of your career so far then? Um. Well, <laughs> I really like I really like seeing my name on credits. Uh, like uh, it's it's such a small thing; no one would care. But I, I always enjoy it. <laughs> um, if I'm flicking, you know, if I'm flicking channels in the evenings, and I think, oh, that's that's one of my shows, and uh, like sometimes I will watch it. <laughs> um, or you know, if you're at a film, you know, I'm going next month. I'm going to the Tribeca Film Festival in New York, and then straight after that to Hot Docs in Toronto. And, you know, some of our films will screen and it's just a really nice, really celebratory moment. Um, everybody comes and sees the film and at the end they say everybody, you know, anyone who was involved in the making of the film stand up and everyone claps. And it's just quite it's quite a nice, rewarding moment. Um, so I, I, I always um, I always enjoy that. Well, there we go. <laughs> you're interested in film or TV production, media, IP, anything along those lines, then Neve is a perfect example of how to make a career out of it and really basically spend your life working on something that you love and yeah. you have a passion for and you've got a really lovely rewarding product at the end of it in 
the shape of your name on the credits. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's always like right down under like the person who drove the van. Oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, still there. Craft <laughs> services, the people who do like all of the snacks on set. You have to really wait for it. Like you've got to be keen. But it's worth the wait. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know about anybody else. But yeah, I watch. I watch for it. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Thank you so much for coming today, Eve. It's a um, pleasure. It's been really, really lovely to talk to you. Yeah, nice to speak to you. You have been listening to LawPod, an informed tech on current events brought to you by the law students and staff at Queen's University Belfast. This episode was produced by Alana Hughes and Richard Somerville. Our theme music is by Colonel Chocolate and the Justice Triangle. LawPod is funded by Queen's Law School and the Queen's Annual Fund. Thanks to Neve Hargan, our guest speaker today. You can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at QUB LawPod. For more information, you can also visit our website, lawpod.org. And please have a look in the show notes for more information about the topics covered today. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Alana Hughes and this was LawPod.